Puah and Shifra. Their names mean beauty and splendor. Aren't those wonderful names? I mean, those are the kind of names you'd expect to find on a princess. But these are slave women, and they have these wonderful names. In contrast, the king is simply the king. You know, that guy over there sits on the fancy chair. If an Egyptian were writing this story, the names would be different. The king would be mighty pharaoh, strong son of Ra, ruler of the mighty house, great Ramesses II. And the women? Well, the women would be simply the women. No names. And certainly not names like beauty and splendor. Who is named and who is not warns us from the beginning that this is not an ordinary story. Watch out for who holds power. Slave women hold power? How can such a thing be? And, and yet they do. They literally hold the power of life. They wield the power that is so often used by those who are oppressed, the power of subversion. There's a Roman Catholic nun, feminist, musician, who's sister Maria, Miriam Therese Winter. You may know some of her songs. She's written a book called Defecting in Place. And she talks about the power of subversion from within. When, like the midwives, your power is very limited, there is still the power of defecting in place to subvert the system from within. In difficult situations, we often have more power than we realize. I mean, think about Rosa Parks. She's a simple woman, a seamstress, and she's hardly five feet tall. And one day, she simply refused to move to the back of the bus. And the civil rights action took fire. Ordinary people leading ordinary lives, but doing extraordinary things. And look at the power of the midwives. How many babies did they save? How many families could rejoice instead of weep? And what of that one very ordinary baby from very ordinary parents who become one of the ex most extraordinary figures in religious history? How were the midwives to know that their refusal to obey the dictates of the king would save the life of the man who would later lead their people out of bondage and into new life. From beauty and splendor, we learn that even small acts can be used by God for great ends. Well, why did these women have the courage to do what they did? I mean, after all, Pharaoh was one of the most powerful rulers of the ancient world. And if the scholars are right, and it was indeed Ramesses II, who was the pharaoh at this time, then we're talking about one of the most powerful of those pharaohs. I mean, how do you defy a man like that? They defied the king because they were convinced that there was something, even someone, even more powerful than pharaoh, and they were afraid to defy that power. You know, especially in modern Protestantism, we don't talk very much about fearing God. But the midwives did. And we need to look at that again. Because, yes, God is kind and loving and all those other things that we're really comfortable talking about. But God is also God. 
creator of the world and ruler of the universe before time and beyond time. As theologian Kosuke Koyama puts it, they feared God. They feared the invisible God. They feared the God who does not have chariots and army and fortress and palace and political structure and economic superiority. Against the visible presence of the king of Egypt, the midwives feared the invisible God. And they knew that murdering male babies at their birth is, as commanded is against the will of God. They feared the king, but they feared God more. Koyama then goes on to tell the story of Professor Yanahara who lost his job because of the Second World War. He dared to criticize the Japanese government for its brutality and oppression of fellow Asian peoples, and we know it was pretty bad. He was a Christian, and says Koyama, he feared God. He was fearless because he feared God. Like the midwives, Yadahara knew that he must choose between serving God and serving the king. He simply could not do both. And to serve one was to serve oppression and death, and to serve the other was to serve life. Those choices come to us. Not often in such dramatic forms, fortunately, but they come. And it may not look to you or to me like a life or death choice, at least certainly not on the surface. But, you know, death can come disguised as greed or self-interest. It contains a form of destructive habits or destructive ways of thinking. It may be something that just sucks the joy out of your life and saps your loving. It may very well be the anger that we carry over some preconceived wrong. Like the choice of the midwives, the choice of life may be for someone else and not for us. I mean, for those women, the risk was literal death. And it could very well cost them their very lives to do as they did. There have been countless women and men who have made such a choice. They've risked death. They've even encountered death in order to choose obedience to God. In 21st century America, the risk may simply be, you know, that sneering look, the loss of popularity, the sidelining of ambition. You'll know it when it confronts you. And the question will be, which do you fear more? The power of this time and place or the power of the eternal God? The midwives feared God and made their choice. Beauty and splendor teach us that even ordinary people can make a difference. They teach us the power of fearing God. They teach us that what we do is often part of a greater plan. Without us, the plan might never have come to fruition. I mean, what if the midwives had killed those babies? What would have happened to Israel without Moses? In fact, what would have happened to us? It goes that far. Oh, I'm not that important, you say. Well, maybe, maybe not. Maybe you are. Maybe you are one of the key actors in God's plan. Maybe without you, it would all fall apart. You know, something very powerful happens when God's people act faithfully. And sometimes we see the results of it, but quite often we don't. 
Did the midwives live long enough to leave Egypt? I don't think so. They were a generation too soon. They probably never knew what they did. But that doesn't change the fact that they changed the world. Helen Maynard was a member of the church of my growing up. She was always Aunt Helen to me, and she wrote poetry. That's not great poetry, but it speaks real well to life. And she writes, I planted some seed in a garden fair and wished in my heart that I could be there to see, watch it grow. For I knew it would. The spot was light, the soil was good, but others cared for it, and it grew. And I who planted it never knew. Planting, yes, but never to know if what I have planted will ever grow. What have I to lay at Jesus' feet? Nothing accomplished, nothing complete. But someday, sometime, I may see my garden blooming in eternity. You, never, you may never see what it is that you've done. You may never know. But that's not the question. The question is, what does God need you to do? In what way is God counting on you to act for justice? In what way is God counting on you to act for reconciliation, for freedom, for truth, for honesty, for liberation? In what way is God counting on you to act on God's behalf in this world? You may not know, but listen and watch. Amen.